This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Piki mai, kake mai, and welcome. From RNZ National, here's our changing world. For the last few years on Summer Science, we've been featuring some original podcasts produced by University of Otago students as part of their master's degrees in science communication. In the second of this year's stories, Sam Fraser-Baxter is investigating the issue of coastal erosion in relation to the seawall at Dunedin's famous surf beach, St. Clair. On the 13th of May, 2013, the ground behind the Dunedin St. Clair seawall began to disappear. Large sinkholes appeared on the Esplanade footpath above the seawall as raging seas battered the St. Clair beach. In areas often frequented by visitors and locals alike, the dramatic sinkholes swallowed footpath tiles, rubbish bins and benches. While no one was injured in the subsidence of the footpath above the wall, emergency remedial work was undertaken which stabilised and repaired the wall in front of the surf club. The work cost accounts for at least $600,000 with ongoing maintenance costs. The St Clair Seawall is an example of the way Kiwis manage and develop our coasts. Historically, Kiwis build as close to the coast as possible. The ocean is an unpredictable and relentless source of energy. Situated between the tropics and Antarctica, New Zealand is constantly battered by wild seas. So in response, we fortify with coastal structures. That's exactly what has happened at St Clair Beach in Dunedin. As St Clair's seawall continues to fail and the world seas continue to rise, coastal management is becoming a more and more important issue today. I first went to the St. Clair Seawall in Esplanade to investigate the issue. So I'm currently standing on the Esplanade above the St. Clair Seawall. It's high tide and there isn't really a beach. You literally can't see sand beneath the wall because the water comes right up to the wall itself. There's about a six metre drop from the edge of the wall down onto the large boulders that sit closely in front of the seawall that attempt to dissipate the wave energy before it breaks on the wall itself. At high tide, the water is too deep, meaning waves are unable to break before reaching the wall. Instead, waves break onto the rocks in front of the wall. I'm going to go chat to the public and see what they think of the wall. I mean, there's not even a beach. Where are you meant to walk your dog? It's just all gone. Just rocks. Anything they do now is temporary, isn't it? Yeah, I surf out here every day, and um, you can't surf here at high tide anymore because the seawall makes a place like a swimming pool. I think that the seawall is really ugly and it ruins the natural environment of St Clair Beach. Which is mankind against nature and nature's going to live. I don't know, beaches come and go. You can't change Mother Nature, it's just yeah. the way it is. So it seems pretty clear that despite the access and the area that the seawall creates behind the St Clair Beach, or lack of, the public aren't too happy with the seawall and its management. 
I'm going to head over to the Starfish Cafe and Bar that sits in the Esplanade area. Kushler, who owns and works at the cafe, took some pretty dramatic photos of the sinkholes back in May 2013. So Kushler, can you um, describe for the listeners um, the events that unfolded with the potholes? Yes, I can. <laughs> it was it was actually we noticed it first ourselves on Facebook. Uh, one of the locals, um, one of our customers, had put a picture up and tagged Starfish into it. Um, so we noticed that there was a hole about the size of probably about half a metre across, and we got down to the Esplanade as soon as we could and realised there was two or three other ones developing, and it just happened to be king tides that night. So. It was rough and it was hitting against the walls and by the next morning there were holes that were about two or three metres wide um, and there was about a million people down there watching. But yeah, it just, they just kept getting worse and more and more kept coming and the council blocked the road off and it was just an absolute nightmare, basically. <laughs> it was not cool. <laughs> so the, um, the sinkholes kind of developed into one long hole that swallowed well, a couple of benches. Yeah, it did. It's a different structure along the Esplanade. So the ones closer to the surf club were just about a metre deep because there was just dirt underneath, whereas the ones down near the hotel were a lot deeper because they fell like about three or four metres underneath. So there was park benches going. Um, but the ones closer to the surf club, like they, they fell, one fell into roundabout with the, um, what's it, with the boats ramped come up and down. So that created all that area to be... Yeah, blocked off, and then yeah, then they just started merging together basically. So I think the one near the surf club at the end was probably a good six meters wide. Yeah. 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 Um, so off the um, Facebook page for the cafe, you posted a picture of the sinkhole yeah. with the caption "As expected." Dot dot dot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what, what were your thoughts behind that caption? Well, it wasn't so much my thoughts, it was more my husband who's a surfer and obviously we've been in this business for 10 years so um, it, the Espinar wasn't like that when we were here originally and as soon as it got done all the surfers are like, it's not going to last um, because obviously the sea hitting those walls and it had got nowhere to go so um, like this building shakes now when we get big tides um, because the water's got nowhere to go, it just doesn't naturally go the way. I don't, I don't know about the science behind it, but it didn't go the way it used to. So it was a local joke that it wasn't going to last, and no one was surprised when it actually happened. And um, has the council been talking to you guys about the future of the wall? Or um, no, the council haven't been particularly forthcoming with information. Initially, when it happened, um, we didn't hear anything from them. I mean, we've got a a business out here, 28 staff, and you know it's a million dollar plus business, and so obviously we're quite concerned that if the road was to go, because at one stage they were talking about the road starting to cave in as well, so if that road was to go then there'd be no access to the businesses, there'd be no trucks being able to bond with stock, and then no one want to come anyway. So we were kind of waiting, I think probably a, a good month into it, there was a few meetings held, but by that stage most of us out here were pretty angry about it. Have there been talks by the public for future options? Are there, is there like a general local opinion? Yeah, well there is a local opinion from the surfers. Um, so initially they thought it would be best to build a break out further so the water's got somewhere to break first. After hearing Kushler's insight, I was keen to hear a bit about the science behind the issue. I caught up with Wayne Stevenson, 
a coastal geomorphologist at the University of Otago. So Wayne, can you describe the seawall at St Clair and its intended purpose? So uh, the seawall is a, is a structure built along the Esplanade at St Clair out of uh, sheet piles of concrete. Um, and its purpose is really to stop the intrusion of the sea to protect the land behind the wall and the buildings and the Esplanade itself. Do you think the St Clair seawall has been successful? Well, that's a difficult question because how, does, how do you judge success? The, the purpose of the wall is to stop erosion and protect the assets, the, the esplanade and the buildings. So in that respect, yes, they've been successful. Uh, those buildings are still there, of course. Um, on the other hand, seawalls also damage beaches, and so the damage to the beach might be judged as a failure. Uh, it's a question of how you balance the protection of the assets, landward, or the, the, the damage to the beach on the seaward side of the wall. And how has the wall damaged the beach? Well, the problem with seawalls is that they reflect wave energy. Un unlike natural beaches that dissipate wave energy, seawalls are a static structure, so when waves impact on them, that wave energy is not dissipated, it's reflected back out to sea. And those reflected waves transport sand offshore, and so they lower the beach and reduce the volume of sand in the beach. So over time you lose your beach. Um, the other problem with that then is that as the beach is lowered, larger waves can impact directly against the seawall, so the problem perpetuates itself. There's a, there's a positive feedback as the beach is lost, and so the wall becomes subjected to more wave energy. And can you describe the last failure of the St Clair seawall in May 2013? Yes, yeah, so in 2013 there was a storm that battered the wall, I guess, there was, uh, and some... Uh, some of the sheet piles that, uh, at the front of the wall, the waves and water got behind and undermined the fill behind. And so up on the esplanade you could see potholes sort of opening up as, as that, um, that uh, fill behind the wall was uh, washed away. So there, was, uh, there were holes opening up on the esplanade surface behind the wall. Are the various failures of the St Clair seawall normal for seawalls? Uh, the problem that we see at St Clair with the damage to the wall by waves is is a generic problem with most seawalls. Um, lots of seawalls around New Zealand and, and overseas face exactly the same problem and so they often require costly uh, repairs, particularly after large storms. So there's nothing unique about what goes on at Sinclair, I'm afraid. Well, it goes to that problem of seawalls, isn't it, creating a, a static boundary um, to protect those assets behind them. but incapable of moving, unlike a natural beach that wants to move as energy levels rise and fall. So that's, I mean, that's always the, that's the sort of uh, the paradox of a seawall. It's a static structure in a dynamic environment, which is why you get into trouble with it. It can't move and adjust its form in the way a beach does. It's one of the reasons why beaches are such good things to have between you and the sea. Are seawalls and the problems experienced by them symptomatic of coastal management in New Zealand? It's certainly symptomatic of the historical approach to coastal management. We've been building seawalls for over 100 years, and so that, that engineered approach to stopping coastal erosion has, has been widely used. So many of the problems we have now are, are historical um, in their origin, and that it wasn't understood what the impacts of walls would be on the coast when they were built. The future of coastal management in New Zealand, uh, well, again, it depends... Uh, very much on the planning regime, how the Resource Management Act is used. Um, in many cases the Act advocates retreating from the coast or not creating hazards in the coast, but each time you build a new wall you create a new hazard, so 
but there will be times and places where people will want to build new seawalls. So what are the future options for the St Clair seawall? Well, the, the, there are lots of things that you could do, but the question is how much money do you want to spend and is that mainly available? I mean, you can continue to repair the wall and maintain it as it is, um, but, but clearly that has an ongoing cost. Uh, you could try some of these alternative engineered approaches that people have, have floated, like uh, offshore breakwaters or um, uh, an anchor groin by the bathing pool there. But again, all those structures, if you build a structure in that dynamic environment, it's going to get damaged and it's going to require repair. So uh, it doesn't matter what you do at the coast, you are going to have to maintain that infrastructure that you put in place. Um, you know, even beach renourishment, which is often the soft approach to, to, to these kind of problems, requires maintenance. And it's costly. You know, everything we do costs money at the coast. The question is how much do we want to spend? After talking to various actors in the Dunedin community, it is clear the management of Dunedin's seawall is a very complex issue. There are clear tensions between the need for effective, forward-thinking solutions and the desire to remain close to the sea. These tensions echo examples of coastal fortification around the country. The continuing failure of Dunedin's St Clair seawall is a potent reminder of the power of the ocean that surrounds our country. As a coastal nation, it seems clear we have for decades developed too close to the coast. So it remains imperative that all levels of government become proactive in managing our coast. That was science communication student Sam Fraser-Baxter from the University of Otago, and he was talking with Kushla Sullivan-Dodds from the Starfish Cafe in Dunedin and Wayne Stevenson from the University of Otago's Geography Department. That's all for now. For more, check us out on the web. rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.